Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 732. At midnight, it's on at 11 o'clock for the next couple of weeks. So my hell finally has an ending point at some point. Oh, I tune in at midnight. Stereo. Where is it? How dare is it you? Gone, it's gone forever. Oh, I guess it must have ended. I guess I'll just uh, get rid of my DVR for it. Yeah, just throw your DVR. I threw the, my DVR away because I just call it the just at throw midnight in the, machine in the dis- disposal in the sink. Well, I guess what I should call is the accurate title machine. <laughs> no, okay, all right. You know, <laughs> I did kind of fuck us a little bit by calling it at midnight. I never, it never occurred to me we might be on at another time. I mean, your at original pitch of... No, it's not 11-night. 11-night. at 11-night. 11 11 11-night sounds like a, a, some type of NASA... Like a groovy Mennonite really is what it sounds like No, no, it's, it sounds like an element. You know, like an element okay. that would bring yeah. down a superhero. Yeah. Ah, he's brought 11-night. <laughs> we can't get to 11. There are no 11s anymore. It's a base 10 world in this comic book. Yeah, completely base 10 world. Um, but uh, yeah, that, and then uh, I'm going to be hitting, I'm going to Texas this week for the Fun Comfortable Tour. Ooh. Houston, Austin, Dallas, and then uh, the following week in Buffalo, and then Toronto for JFL 42. Tickets at FunComfortableTour.com. Uh, what do we got on the old Nerdist Community Corkboard? Uh, this, this is from Mandy, and she is a photographer in St. Louis who's been working with 10th Life Cat Rescue, and they do a calendar that is sexy dudes holding adoptable cats. Aww. It's uh, Katie lit up with this because she both loves hunky dudes and animals that won't be murdered. Love them. <laughs> so if you go to 10thlifecats.org uh, slash topcats, that's the name of the calendar. They're $15 and 100% of the proceeds go to charity. Oh, and, and the, and the, the charity is like it's cats that have trouble getting yeah, and adopted, it's, yeah, right? It's, it's cats uh, who, who are having trouble getting adopted and a lot of them are like trouble or have like mental things you sure. know, or things wrong with them. And they're real cute. They're All really right. real cute cats. The guys are real cute. Too. Dudes. I'm sure the guys also have a string of problems. That, <laughs> you know, if you want to adopt them, they they might you know. Oh, that could work too. You want to do that? Oh man, just double dip. Yeah, I'm just gonna get Take everything that's on May. I would like everything on the menu, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of it. All of it. Entree and dessert. Mmm. Yes. Mmm. Uh, I'd also like to tell folks that uh, we are screening the Hive tonight, yeah. one night only. Um, through Fathom Events. If you go to NerdistHive.com, the screening's at 7.30. We uh, shot some extra content uh, to air before it as everyone's coming in, you know, to sit down. Uh, and uh, it's, it's 7.30, and this is the 
You know, it's like the first uh, really wide distribution movie that we that we have with Nerdist and uh, it was uh, Yarvo was just in the David Yarvesky was just in the podcast a couple days ago uh, wrote and directed and it's a super fun sci fi horror thriller movie it's and be awesome. Uh, so go tonight. Yeah, yeah. Go, go tonight. Go, go to right nerd- now. You're at work. Go yeah. ask that person that you're like. We never hang out. You want to go to the Hive at a Fathom events? You're fired. I'm your boss. <laughs> Actually, now my heart is melted. <laughs> you didn't say Nerdist was distributing it. I had to fire you so we could actually legally go out. Oh, HR doesn't go. really yeah. appreciate that. So uh, oh. go to NerdistHype.com and join us. There's a, we're screening it at a shit ton of theaters around the country. Probably one near And then you. afterwards, make out with your boss. Make out? No, you can't, you can't tell. I mean, if it's, I guess if it's, it's your consensual. choice. If it's your choice, you can do it. Yeah. But your boss shouldn't try to make out with you. But you, No, you I should think make out with your boss. You could try. Yeah. That's legal, yeah. right? Like, I, don't, I think that's legal. I don't legal. know. But if it's not, it's super hot. Yeah. Kyle. Especially all riled up after watching The Hive. Why are you looking at me now? I'm your boss. Hey, boss. Oh, I'm not going to take off my shirt and hold a cat. with. So don't. I feel like you would. That seems like a thing you'd do. I would, actually. Yeah, I absolutely yeah, like, would. I'm in pretty good shape, and I do love cats. Yeah, I'm just going to hold this. Ow, 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 I need a shirt. Uh, this episode of the podcast is Shirley Manson. Yeah. God, she was rad. I lo- First of all, I love garbage, and second of all... Shirley Manson was it, as rad. Sometimes people are exactly what you hope they were oh. going to be, and you're real happy about it. <laughs> so cool like, and oh, funny. You are a cool rock star who's hilarious. Garbage's 20th anniversary tour is uh, going on right now. Tour starts in early October, and dates and tickets can be found at garbage.com. And let me give this to Kyle's name advice. I've seen them before, and they're phenomenal live. Also, uh, props for getting garbage.com. I know, that right? Some, I was hey, man, that's some early internet. That is some that early interneting right there. <laughs> that is some excellent early interneting right there. And now, the Nerdist Podcast number seven. 32 with the super kick-ass, awesome, hilarious, and wonderfully talented Shirley Manson. Katie, roll the thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. This is already happening. So I know if you're that you are fine. You just go we in just there don't, bang and why, We don't fucking... You're not fucking around. We're not fucking around. <laughs> this is podcasting. <laughs> this is serious. I um, I saw you at a sushi place a few weeks ago. Uh-oh. And I was... T- but I'm very shy in public. I don't like bothering people. But I wanted to go like, I think you're coming on my podcast. I wish you thought. That would be But funny. I didn't... No, because then, then what are you supposed to say? Like, okay, enjoy yeah. your fish. Yeah, like, what it are you gets a bit say? awkward. Yeah. Which sushi joint was it? I'm, I'm desperately racking my brain now. It's was it Sushi Park? It was Sushi Park. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. It's very good. <laughs> it's really good. But they, <laughs> I took, we took my mom there, and my poor mom could was not comfortable with the concept of, they tell you like what you can put soy sauce on and what you can't. Yeah, it's really funny, isn't it? And my mom, no soy sauce. Yeah, my mom's like, do I have to follow that? I'm like, yeah, that's part of the you guys part of the thing. <laughs> but 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 how am I supposed to? I go, well, it's just what the how they want you to eat it. Sometimes I sneak soy sauce. <laughs> so I have to confess. Well, you've just said that publicly. What are I you have. doing? Just occasionally when the chef isn't looking, I have a quick dip. Do you understand now that if any of those people listen to this podcast now, every time you come in, they're gonna they're the, just gonna keep one eye on you can, to make no, sure you're not sneaking. I can handle it. Okay, good. Yeah, good. What do you get? What did you just like? Defiantly, just like put in the soy sauce, like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> are you gonna do arrest me? Yeah. 
That's so rock and roll. You got it. That's so rock yeah, and roll now. Yeah, that's really Put, rock and putting roll. Putting soy Woo! sauce on sushi. That, She's uh, burning it up with the rock and roll over here. <laughs> I heard Shirley Manchin put so- soy sauce Woo! on sushi that she wasn't supposed to. <laughs> Fuck, man. She doesn't care who she pisses off. That's right. The records are selling fast like hotcakes right now. <laughs> the, soy so- the Soy Sauce Incident is your next album, mm-hmm. uh, which is just all about different ways to defy the Sushi Park chefs. The place is so good, though. It is. It's, I had a, I'm just thinking, though, by you saying that you saw me in Sushi Park, I'm thinking back to last night, and I saw someone in the car park of the supermarket that I go to yeah. who may or may not have been Jason Siegel. Uh. But I wanted to believe it was Jason Siegel. And he looked at me and he went, hi. And I, I was sitting outside with, with my dog and I went, hi. And then he carried on walking and he walked into the supermarket. And to this day, I will never know whether it was Jason Siegel or I, not. I'm going to tell you that contextually, it sounds like that might have been Jason Siegel. Oh my God, I'm dying. Because he probably, Jason Siegel would probably be very comfortable just saying hi, hi. To, to people. But it was the casual way he did it. It was so weird. But I think, I think sometimes when people both know who the other person is, even if they haven't met, they still, there's still a familiarity of like, oh, hey. Well, I'd just been to see his film at End of Tour, and he was a like, big, fat, schlobby kind of physique in that yeah. movie. Yeah. And in, and in the car park last night, he wasn't like that at all. Oh. If you know what I mean. I mean. So I was a bit confused. Jason Segel, <laughs> are you out there? No soy sauce. So I wished I'd said, I loved your movie, but I didn't. I just went, hi. All right, well, if I... Jason's coming on the podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can clarify for mm-hmm. me. I'm going to find out. <laughs> Did you see Shirley Manson in the parking lot Did of... Did you see uh... a weird girl with pink hair and a little dog look at you strangely? <laughs> There's no way he doesn't know who you are. Of course there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. I completely disagree. He's I not can... from my generation. He is. What are you no, talking about? No, he's not. He fucking is. <laughs> who didn't own those albums? Well, he was probably a child back then. No. I feel like everybody was a child back then at this point. I w- Okay, I have a story. I have a boring story about you. I mean, I have an amazing story about, uh, about that first garbage album, which was I was working at K-Rock at the time. In 1995. Okay, now I'm really scared. In 1995. And I love that album. Queer had just come out. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Queer was the lead track off that album, right? Well, it was one of the first singles. Yeah, it wasn't the lead, but... And so I listened to that album because, you know, we would get K-Rock. You would get CDs at K-Rock. Every week you'd get to go in and, like, go to the music director's office and pull all the CDs that you, you, know, you get. And oh, I listened the to... heady days of the 90s. Oh, yes. The CDs. Just the car full of CDs Ugh. that were scattered all over the floor. And I, the first time I heard Stupid Girl, I was like, well, this song's going to be fucking huge. And so I, uh, before my next shift, I asked Kevin Weather, the program director, I worked midnight to 5 a.m., so no one listened to my shift. But I said, can I please be the first person to play this song because I think it's going to be amazing. And uh, he was like, sure. And so I made a big deal because you never got to break any music in the middle of the night, ever. Because no one, it was everyone's too wasted. Everyone's too wasted. No one's listening. People work graveyard shifts or they're on drugs, and so uh, they don't even count the ratings from midnight. To <laughs> that's how bad it is. Oh, there was yeah, no phone Yeah, and so uh, and so I, I made this big deal about this is a world premiere, and so I think I may have been the first person to play Stupid Girl on the radio. I love you. So uh, I absolutely. But you know that I got my job through somebody playing a video at one o'clock in the morning. So the graveyard shift is my shift. Wait, what? What? The graveyard people are my kind of people. What do you mean? You got? Well, they played MTV played my old band. Uh, Angelfish on on TV at one o'clock in the morning and Steve, Mark and my band 
was watching TV and he uh, saw, saw the video and that's how I got my job in garbage. Was this 120 minutes? It was indeed. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Remember 120 minutes? God, yeah. TV's changed. I was obsessed with that show, actually. It was so good. There's, yeah, it was good. Because there wasn't a really... Um, there was, The fact that they kind of took this sort of underground alternative scene at the time that didn't really have a voice anywhere else was... Uh, I mean, at least in America, was pretty... Uh, was, was really cool and so cutting edge. And now it's just the concept of one show being... The, Dominant. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't even make sense anymore. Well, yeah. It's, it's, things have changed so much. It's crazy. I mean, podcasts themselves have sort of taken up that role in a funny way. Kind you know of. I mean? Do you make mu- are, are you going to make are you making any music videos anymore? Like do I you was even- telling your producer I was supposed to be in this. I'm supposed to be in the studio right now making our finishing up our new record. And you said you were like, no, I'm going to go do this podcast. Yeah, I said I'm going to go and do a podcast. The, po- I'll the be podcast. Back. <laughs> and they just kind of looked at me blankly and said, oh, okay, okay, all right. See uh, you. How long have you guys been back in the studio? Two days or something. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we we all get on each other's nerves so much now. That we have to break our working periods into two-week increments. And it actually works perfectly. We don't get on each other's nerves really that much That's anymore. That's really funny. Well, I mean, yeah. at this point, now you've been together like 20 years. Yeah. Which is such a... They're like my brothers, you know, we, we really... There's a lot of eye-rolling in the studio <laughs> um, between us. I mean, we love each other desperately, but we all get on each other's nerves. So it's a two-week increment period, and it works really well. I mean, just... I know... Okay, so Steve saw you on as in Angelfish on 120 Minutes and then brought you in to audition and if i understand the story correctly it didn't work out right away is that true that is true but then you came back and then it worked out and then i rocked their socks off fucking you put soy sauce on yes i sure did i splayed the whole place with soy sauce (laughs) and and so how long into that band because it's it's kind of strange to think like oh you auditioned for their band but then it became your band like then it became your band no, on, only to the outside world. I mean, it's, it really is a, a, a struggling democracy. It really <laughs> is. I mean, we know it's nobody's band, really. It sounds unlikely, but that's the truth. It was just how the the public sort of view us, I suppose, because the press at the time really took a liking to me, and I got on a lot of front covers. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, when you're on the front cover, you become the face of that band. But we work very much as a team. How long did it take you to feel like, okay, this is the thing we're doing and I'm not just singing in their band? Mm, about 15 years. <laughs> I, I mean, really. it really did. It took a long, long time for me to even feel like I was good enough to be in, sitting in that seat. I mean, that's really sick. You don't want to go into my past, though, and my all my hang-ups. That's so dull. But it's not dull at all. It is so it's dull. It's humanizing. Do you, know why it's, do you know why it's good? Because a lot of people have weird hang-ups and then they feel weird and isolated, but then when they hear someone that they respect also has human hang-ups, it makes them feel okay. Well, I have so many hang-ups, you can't even begin to know where to start. I read a fascinating article with you. I, rem- I remember it so clearly from like 1996, and there must have been other stuff in the article, but for some reason they focused on this thing that you said. It's the commandments, right? It was not the commandments. Oh, you it, surprised me. It had to do with uh, being in relationships and how people should just be comfortable shitting in front of each other. It was just so- uh, yeah, well, it's true. I, I'm totally comfortable shitting in front of my husband. <laughs> he, however, will not shit in front of me because he's bright. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm totally au fait with that. It doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> There's not any part of it that's like, oh, I don't know. You're just like, well, this is just this is, this is totally natural and this is going to yeah, happen. Yeah, I, pretty much. 
That's yeah. fantastic. He locks the door. You know, he goes into he's like you know goes into his man cave to poop. Oh yeah. Well, I have to be in another zip code. Like I want one. to knock on the door, going, "I know you're in there. <laughs> I know you're in there. And I know exactly what you're doing and what it looks like, and I can smell it." <laughs> you know, I just want to say that doesn't help the process because he's probably just frozen inside, like a like a scared gopher. Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Just probably. just in in his little in the little rabbit hole. Just like please, please, just please, please. <laughs> I don't know why it's so terrible. I don't know why. I mean, it is, it is, it is. And I, I'm, I'm the same way. Because I remember reading that and how I, it impacted me so much because I was like, I can't even imagine being <laughs> that comfortable. With my- yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I, I have no idea. I came from a very earthy family, though, where there was a lot of pooping jokes. And that, I love poop jokes. You know, that stays with me. Anything to do with with body functions really make me laugh. Because they're the I, best. Because they make people, they shut people down so fast. I find it fascinating. It's instantly humanizing. It's instantly puts us all on the same level. No I matter guess what so. your status in life is. I, I, that must be what it is. Something you, like that. You still have to, you still have to do that. I can't believe we got here so quickly. Yeah. I, well, it was, you know, I've been holding on to this for like 19 <laughs> years. This is very cathartic for me it's, to get to discuss this. It's with been you. fantastic for me too. <laughs> you can talk about that as much no, as you want. This is when we light up cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. and just tell shit war stories. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, it, it, it is hard because of because uh, of traveling. You know, it's like it's just traveling and and being and I don't like it in public. I just get really weird about. It. Is your husband the same way? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a freak about it, but. You know, when you're in a band, you kind of have to, it has to go by the wayside, all that stuff. Because, you know, you're crammed in a backstage room, not much bigger than this, you know, and you 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 have to do all your stuff yeah. in front of one another. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's bonding though. I think it, I think as yeah. a, as a band, you might as well just become a family as quickly as possible <laughs> if you want it to work. Probably. I guess. I mean, did you guys, did you guys all click together immediately? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Certainly, we had the similar sense of humor. We loved the same kind of music. We had a goal, you know, we all wanted to do the same thing. So it was really bonding. Were you comfortable with the fact? Because I, I, remember, I remember you being on the cover of magazines and I remember you becoming pretty quickly sort of becoming like a, like a style icon for, for people, which, I mean, are you, um, did you recognize that at the time or is that anything that you can be emotionally prepared for? I was not emotionally prepared for, and I remain mystified because <laughs> I'm not one of these girls that spends a lot of time thinking about clothes or how I'm going to dress or, you know, I, I really don't put a lot of thought into it. And when it became this style icon, I was really shocked by it. And, and even looking back now at old videos and stuff, I mean, videos were a different thing because actually I did a pretty good job of putting myself out there. But in, in terms of like backstage footage and stuff, I was dressed appallingly. <laughs> I mean, I looked terrible. <laughs> so I'm really confused by how, how that all happened. But I think I got lucky. We worked with amazing photographers, like amazing image makers. And we were smart enough to know to use great people. Like don't use average when you can use amazing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also I look normal when you can look spectacular. And these all these people are good at style making, like image making. They are geniuses at making people look incredible. I also uh you're from Edinburgh, right? I am. I, I love that. I love it. It's, it's a great city. It's so great. And so uh it, it's it's interesting to see 
how stratified the city is in terms of the physical structure representing the economic. Yeah. Oh, wow, I've never heard it put that way, but you're right. I mean, it's like the rich people live up top and they dump <laughs> shit on the poor people who live at the bottom. That's they had right. to be very comfortable with shit because they were getting it dumped on them on a Literally, daily basis. Literally, back in the day, yeah. Yeah, but it's such a, it, it really is a gorgeous city that, uh, uh, that where you, you can just, you can feel the class structure in the, in the construction of the city. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, the UK is still very class orientated that way. And sure. it's sad. It's, that's the sad side of United Kingdom. But um, yeah, you really can see it physically in the, all the architecture and everything in Edinburgh. I've never, ever heard it. It takes an American to point something mm, like that out. Well yeah. done. We don't point out a lot of stuff astutely, but when we do. Well, that's really interesting I'm, point. I'm also uh, just coming from a kind of an earthy background and coming from sort of an un- the underground scene and then all of a sudden you're super successful. Does that weird you out, or do you feel weird, or do you feel guilty, or do you, like like all this? You're talking about the class structure, but all of a sudden you're super successful and you got money and you got fame and you're all you're part of the other side. I mean that. How does that feel? Well, this is like going and watching that movie End of Tour about David Foster Wallace. Right. I mean, uh, all these sort of the weird idea of like coming from an underground situation, you have contempt for the mainstream. I mean, it's just in general, it's a survival tactic, right? Mm-hmm. So you scorn it. And then all of a sudden you find, oh, my God, I'm in the mainstream. It's, it is very strange, to, like trying to get your head around that and finding sort of uh, a, a place to stand in the midst of all that craziness. Because I did have a lot of uh, confusion internally about success. I didn't, it didn't sit well with me really. I didn't, I thought I'd like the attention because I'm a real attention seeker. Like I love attention, but once I actually got it in that like amount, I I found it repulsive. I found it gauche. I mean, who knows why? I just didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I hated cameras. I hated, you know, my husband at the time was getting followed around with by paparazzi and, and it was really intrusive and I did not enjoy it at all. Yeah, I don't think anyone would think that was fun because I don't think But we... tons of people do, you know? They love it. They can't, though. I mean, like, I just think as humans, we don't want to be spied on all the time. It's just, it's just, it just feels counterintuitive. You, I feel like you need some sense well, of... that's because you're a sane person. <laughs> but I, don't I know think if that's true. the ones who cultivate that kind of constant fame, they, they see intrusion as, you know affirmation i guess that's true i guess it's also probably not different than a physical drug in the sense of you're getting a rush of something and you get addicted to that and then the more and more you get it the more and more you crave it and then you got it and you wonder why the paparazzi aren't outside your door i think they they operate then you start and then i think that's when people start misbehaving because then it's like they're like spoiled like bratty kids and like oh i'm just gonna be shitty and get attention so it's a, it's really, it's really or very sexual, or you know, right, rebellious, or whatever. So they find a myriad of different ways, right? I think so. I, I, but I, I also am always interested in the idea. And we've talked about this before too. When when punk bands get really popular, and, and then then it almost sort of flies, and like it seems like they're a reaction to something, but then they become that thing. And so, how do they? How do you find inspiration, or how do you? How do you continue to? Do you have to completely change, you know? Because I, I was imagine they'd be like, oh, I don't know. I, maybe this isn't so terrible. Well, it must be difficult because, of course, like, like I said, when you're on the outside of something, you're contemptuous of it because it's a survival tactic. You know, if you longed for to be in a club that you're never going to be part of or you think you're never going to be part of, 
it would be really upsetting. So, you know, I think human nature just decrees that you find ways of rejecting clubs that you can't be part of. Then when you find yourself in that club, I think it depends on your your internal makeup, you know, how you handle it. Some people are destroyed by it, you know, like yeah. all these famous artists that we know too well, Amy Winehouse, uh, you know, Kurt Cobain, they all they are destroyed by all that. And then there's people who flourish under it. And then there's the people who are sort of like me who can somehow manage to handle it but are very discomforted by it a lot of the time. But that said, there's lots of great things about it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, there's, there's nothing more incredible than writing a record and having been like I was, you know, I was in a band for 15 years really before I went and played a show where there was an audience oh of, any, of any real amount really? coming to my show. Yeah. You must have been, you must have just been a tiny little... Gelfling. Well, I was a Gelfling when I started. I was sort of almost 15, I think, when 15, 16, when I started playing gigs. And then really, garbage really broke around about my late 20s. So, you know. Was that a good time for the success? Well, it's incredible because you're so innocent. You have no idea. All you know is like, oh my God, people are coming to our shows and I don't have to worry so much anymore. And, you know, I can't pay my bills. I mean, that's a big thing. You know, when you can start paying your bills, it's incredible. right? Right. Yeah. For any of us. But then, you know, you come the second record, the third record, then it starts to get a wee bit weird because then you're, the success is, is runs in tandem with the rest of your life and you're trying to juggle the rest of your life, which is getting slowly eradicated by success because you're always away from home, so you don't have any relationships. You miss out on all your friends having babies and, you know, blah, 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 ad infinitum. Like, it's not, it's crazy. It's a crazy way to live, constantly being that kind of, in that kind of success. Yeah, you only have so much energy. <laughs> I mean, you can only <laughs> you only have so much energy to devote to stuff. Yeah, I mean, of that, course. That's, that's it. And 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 maintaining a relationship where someone can understand, uh, even if they understand on an intellectual level, it's I mean, trying to it's difficult to connect with some with people when you're just gone all. Well, the you're time. usually too tired to come back and then discuss it. You just don't yeah. want to have to discuss it because you're too tired. You just want them to understand. Yeah, and and so much of your and so, and you know, so much of your relationship energy is devoted to the audience. You're you're spending so much time scooping it out into the audience, and by the time you come home, sometimes you can yeah, the be a person little... you really care about gets nothing because <laughs> you just feel like a yeah. weird shell. Like oh, I just need to lie here for a second. Yeah, I mean, there's tons of times I've come back from shows, and you know, you've you've been energetic and passionate and funny and sparkling, and then you come home and you're like a black cloud. <laughs> you know, I'm not so much like that now that I'm older and I've figured it out. But certainly when I was young, I was like a black mess by the time I got home. Well, what did you figure out? I just have found a way of balancing it all out a bit better in my mind and understanding that I have to put energy into my life. I right. have to put energy into the people I love. I have to put energy into like, you know, making arrangements and and sticking to them and being, you know, valiant and true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I take it seriously. Yeah, cuz you you don't, you know, I mean it is it's important cuz you don't want to it might be fun when you're young when you think that life is just this endless runway. But then at a certain point... You realize there's death. <laughs> there's death. And then there's also, <laughs> there's also, you know, if you're lucky, being an old person, you know, some, yeah, somewhere. And, and, I'm and desperate to be old. <laughs> really? Well, not desperate for it to like be accel- accelerated, but I hope I get to be old. Yeah? Yeah. Do you, do you think you'll be a good old lady? I think old people are really punk rock. Yeah. Like they get crazy and wild and they just don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, they really don't, you know? Yeah, because I think they, I think 
once you so much of what powers us when we're young i think is the is is fear and i think when you're old then you realize like yeah you know i could probably go in any minute you what are you afraid of anymore at that point yeah you're fearful of you just don't fucking care you're like well i don't care i'm gonna die i could die tomorrow who gives a shit yeah i think that is a pretty freeing concept a pretty freeing concept yeah um, I'm not looking forward to dragging my balls on the ground. But other than that, I yeah, think Yeah, well, gonna... that's the horrible side of it all, which I try not to focus on. But, you know, when I was young, I, was, I literally felt scared 24-7. 24-7, I felt anxious and angry and frustrated and all the things that come with being young. But that must have helped with... Well, of course, it's a great engine, right? Yeah. That's why young people achieve stuff. Would you have traded it if you had been just like a super chill uh, kid? I, with... I think being chill is so overrated oh good yeah a a sense of agitation is good well i think it's good too because i think and i think a lot of people who because i've i've been anxious i mean i've been an anxious person my whole life and i think letting people know that you can actually do something constructive with it as opposed to just just bearing it eating your tail yeah exactly but but if you can actually if you're going to experience it then you might as well do something fun with it you know (laughs) i mean seriously i think so and i think that's why any of the creative endeavors is really important because you're just like putting that out there yeah the, the problem is though of course when you get to my age it is hard to keep the engine stoked which i am managing to do i don't know why i managed to still be enthusiastic and i'm i'm not cynical and i'm not tired and bored but i think that is a challenge how do you keep yourself as stoked as you were when you were young which it just comes naturally when you're a kid yeah and i think it's got to be also interesting i would guess that it must be interesting that you know, people have this perception of you. When you're performing, you're very confident on stage and you seem like, oh, she's got, she's got everything figured out, you know? But on stage, I do have everything figured out. Ah. That's why I'm so addicted to it. That's, that's I like become a superhero when I'm on stage. What do you think? <laughs> that's what happens. That's why people love it. Then do you, do you kind of dread going off stage sometimes? Well, I used to, but now I don't. That's what I was saying about earlier right. on, is I figured out a way of like making my real life actually the important life and as fulfilled as the stage life. But for a while when I was young, I just was addicted to being on stage, and that's all that really mattered to me. Oh, wow. And then you would come off stage, and it'd be like you'd be bummed out. Because yeah. life wasn't exciting anymore. Yeah, there's that, uh, uh, there's that crazy, uh, I don't know how crazy it is, but that, that, that Bon Jovi documentary where it's like there's a fucking stadium full of people and then they just the camera just goes back into this weird tiny little room and just sitting in there. <laughs> just like, that just... entire documentary is fascinating, though, right? <laughs> no, you've seen it. Yes, okay. I've seen it. I was, it gave me the chills. Yeah, it's so strange. Yes, it's worth watching, though, whether you're a Bon Jovi fan or not. You know, it's... You, it's interesting to watch. You know, I used to deny it, but I think I actually am kind of a Bon Jovi fan. Are you really interested? I think I am. You know why? Because as much as I can kind of write it off and go like, bad, it's it's Ashen Wasp, Frat Rock, you know, if... It is. If Living on a a Prayer came on, I would be like, oh, we're halfway there. Wait, stop it. You know, like I would still... Because I'm wanted. Yes, yes. Dead or alive. (laughs) Yep. Yep, I mean it's it is, but isn't it so true, Shirley? It's like you're just a cowboy. Yeah, man, it's riding so around. True. It really a, resonates with me on a steel horse. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> were were did were the songs that you guys were writing? Was it uh, 
were you were you intending to express anything that you feel like people never picked up on? Was there anything about it that was very personal that you felt like, God, people think it's about this, but it's actually really about it this? Was, it was a it was a dedication to Bon Jovi. No, I, that's what I thought. Yeah, all the whole first garbage every, album, yeah, every song. Yeah, every song. Yeah, that's it's just a tribute to that. <laughs> Stupid girl is yeah. actually all about Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't. I, I, I have no. I, I had no real sense of what we were writing with that first record. I don't think any of us really did. It was so piecemeal and sort of put together in a strange way, um, which has since sort of become much more socially acceptable. But at the time, it was really frowned upon the way that we made that record. How come? Well, because we weren't one thing or another. We weren't a rock band. We weren't a pop band. We weren't. You know, we used hip hop beats. We used rock guitars we used funk we i mean we just stole lots of tiny little pieces from everything and mixed it all up and i think people were really suspicious of it at the time but even the name of the band kind of suggested what the tone was well we thought so but you know lots of people have very different senses of humor than we do (laughs) um so yeah, we we met up with a lot of hostility at the time, which is funny because you know everybody's lauding this this record of ours now, and which is lovely. But at the time, everybody was mm, I don't know about this band. You know, they're they claim they're alt rock, but you know they they love pop melody, and you know we we always loved pop music. We were always big fans of it. And that was considered uncool and, oh, I don't know. I mean, who cares? You know what's so great about that, though, is that what it really says is that it doesn't fucking matter what anyone says. (laughs) I mean, it's honestly, as long as you just make your thing and you just keep doing it and like, so, because, you know, people can be devastated. It can be devastating. I was devastated by all the negative stuff. Really? Of course. Well, I guess, how could you not be? Yeah. I mean, I just thought, oh, well, that's it. We're screwed. Little did I know. You see, you understand nothing when you're young. Yeah, no, no. You understand nothing. And none of that stuff really means anything. It's it's just um it, 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 it's just like gristle, you know? Like it doesn't really Well, everybody's got something bad to say for the most part. I mean, you can't expect to go out into the world, right, and have everybody salute you and tell you you're great and I mean that just that's just not how things work. No, people it's... don't have to salute you and tell you that you're great, but they also uh, uh, on the flip side, don't have to be like, this is the word. You know, like they don't have to be so n- super negative about it. I mean, but it, but it is. But negativity, like most people are fucking miserable. I negativity, don't know. though, is big, you know, and it's considered sort of cool and safe in a funny way. If you really think about it. I know. think it's lazy and predictable. So do I. I'm with you. <laughs> but again, that's something I've sort of slowly learned. I When I was young, I sort of, I liked to be negative because I thought it made me cool or it made me feel like I wasn't risking anything. I didn't have to risk anything by being cool. Well, also, um, tearing things down, looking down on things makes you feel superior so to feel them. Superior, it makes you feel like yeah. you're above... You know, if you can shit on something, that means you understand it and you can take it apart and that makes you... Something like that, That makes yeah. you powerful. But that's an illusion. It's not true. No, it just... Probably not. But for that second, it probably makes you feel better. But, you know, like I, when I... <laughs> coming from Scotland, you know, people don't mess their words, you know, and I would be... I can remember walking down the street a lot in Scotland for the first when the first record was successful and people would shout things like, Oi, stupid girl, you're shite! <laughs> <laughs> or, or... Oi, garbage! You are garbage! <laughs> there would be stuff like that. It was just, it went on and on and Good on. Good to see you too! Yeah, and I'd be walking down the street with my mum, my mum going, What did that young man just say? <laughs> oh, and nothing, mum, nothing, keep walking. So <laughs> 
So I was kept in my place for a long, long time, which is probably good. I mean, I guess, I guess some degree of that tethering you to reality is okay, but at the same time... Who shouts at a... Lots of, lots of Scot- Scottish workies. Who shouts at a 20-something girl walking down the street, <laughs> at, uh, just a, a horribly oppressive... With their mum. With their mum. Yeah, that's not cool. But I guess that's part of it. But, I, but, <laughs> do you, but, you, but you think that's, do you think that's part of Scottish culture? Is, I know it is. I mean, that is very much part of an island mentality. And we live in a really small country you know we could fit i think we, there's something mad like i can fit scotland into california eight times over or something like that I mean, it's tiny if you had shouted back like eat my shit you cunt would he been like she's all right like, sometimes I, I would do that and <laughs> um yeah people they would just look really stunned because of course you're not supposed to be able to have a word back no if you're supposed to just take it and often i would with ears burning and shame did you because it seems like uh i've always suspected that you're funny and and so why? Because it's just, well. First of all, <laughs> I don't know how to take that. The pee and, the, the, the pee and shit article, like that's a oh, funny that's God, a funny yeah. thing to say in an interview. <sighs> and so I wonder, was the press not when you're in a band? Sometimes I feel like you don't get the same leeway as if you had been a comedian. But when you say stuff and you're fucking around and people take it seriously, <laughs> did you get yourself? Did you get in trouble a lot? <laughs> I didn't get in trouble, but my band, I could tell, were really at the end of their tether a lot of the time, you know, <laughs> I, and they would they would be embarrassed for me. You know what I mean? Oh, like, really? I wasn't particularly embarrassed by any of it because I, I'd said it and I was and it was true. But they were they're real sort of gentlemen from the Midwest and they are very careful what they say. Like I'm the complete opposite, but they are very careful. They choose the words carefully. And they were pretty horrified by, particularly the that all that sex stuff. They, yeah, they freaked them out a wee bit, but they've you know they've gotten over that now. Yeah, I would imagine at this point they're probably. Well, I hope so. They're but probably who knows? okay with it. Yeah. Do you like uh, when you when you kind of branched out and did and started doing solo stuff? Did, did that have a different dynamic for you? Is it something that was? Did you miss that group? I mean, I was imagining every time you work with a different group, there's a whole new thing that happens. Did you do, what did you learn or discover about yourself when you started doing solo stuff? Well, I never actually did the solo stuff. It, I, I dabbled in it and it ended disastrously with what surprise, some more major label interference. So it ended poorly, for which I'm eternally grateful because I believe in bands. I believe in uh, people working together augmenting each other through your weaknesses and your strengths. I, b- I believe in that. I think it's a really beautiful ideal. And I think the idea of a band is very romantic. For me, I find that that's just something that has always filled me and my imagination up. And so I'm proud to be in a band and not be a solo pursuer. What, uh, did, the, what did the label do to fuck it all up? Oh, it's a, such a fucking long story. It's so boring. But they... I was going to do it with Greg Kirsten, who was at the time, who's now a really well-known music producer. But back then, nobody knew him. He was unproven talent and he's literally a genius. I mean, he's an incredible jazz musician and, and really like one of the greats, you know. And he had generously put a band together for me and we were going to make a record and we were going to make it in two weeks and with all these incredible musicians. And we took it to the record company and said, we're, we want to do this. We want to make this record. It will cost, I think it was $10,000 for the whole thing. And the, the head of the record company said, well, who is this Greg Kirsten? He hasn't had a hit. We're not letting you 
we're not letting you waste your career like that. We see you as a as an international pop star and you know you have the potential to be as big as Annie Lennox. And, and, and they put the kibosh on that project. And then Greg Kirsten, literally, I think three weeks or something later, had a massive hit and has done nothing but continue to for the last, I think, uh, five years. Just over, over like 10 <laughs> grand in two weeks. Yeah. Why is it going to, why do you care? Why is yeah. it going to hurt you? To, yeah. I don't think, uh, I, I, I don't think, I don't know. I would hate to think about how many amazing things got squashed because of. Idiots. How many things almost happened because of situations like that where yeah. one dude just got a bug up their ass about something? Well, that whole, I think a lot of the industry in the last sort of 10, 20 years has gotten very conservative. You know, all they want is hits. That's why, it, you know, all they sign is pop artists. You know, they, yeah. they want hits. That's all they care about. They don't care about anything other than that. And that's fair enough. You know, I, I get that. That's what they're doing. They're okay, fair enough. But there are still, do you feel like there are still adequate channels to get things out into the world without traditional radio play? I do, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's been proven, you know, you can have a hit on YouTube, you know, without anybody knowing who the hell you were, you know, three months previous. Or yeah. There are definitely ways of doing it, but I feel like all the artists that do break out like that, they're the exception to the rule. You know, in general, they're phenomenons, you know. To rise above the fray, you need a distribution, you need promotion, and that takes money. And who has money? The labels have money. So, you know, yeah, you can be lucky and have a breakout. Um, somebody was talking about Lindsay Sterling the other day on YouTube. You know, she's become a, like, hugely successful on her own terms. But that will happen once out of millions of artists. Yeah. So the, so the record companies still do have pull. Yeah, they have power. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It is. The, the, the promotion is really seems to be the most challenging part of it that you can perform you can do a show in a city and feel like you've done a shit ton of promotion for that show and you leave a city and someone still go when are you gonna when are you gonna come perform and do like i was just there yeah yeah how could you how'd you miss that there's so much noise in our culture right i mean everybody talks about oh social media is so great for young artists it's like well is it it's just another it's just another outlet it's just another magazine it's not like some revolutionary tactic that guarantees you success. It's just no, it's just more noise. Yeah. And we have so much noise now, it's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I can't keep up. I remember being really up on music when I was young. I would just go and I would buy the enemy every week. And, and that's all I really needed to know what was going on in the world, literally in the world. And now it's like everybody's talking about all these books, all these movies, all these podcasts, all the TV shows, all like everything that's going on on YouTube, everything that's going on on, you know, like noisy and vice and blah, 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 blah. It's just billions and billions of things and you just don't have time in the day <laughs> to keep up with it. Yeah. Do you watch anything? Are Do you? you? Wa I watch lots of stuff. Like what? What's like, your new jam? Uh, Television-wise? Yeah. Uh, it's a show called Mr. Robot. Oh, I was just going to say the same thing. Fucking great. It is pretty great. I'm kind of obsessed by that boy. Yes, Rami Malek. They were, yeah, he was Rami, just on. Rami was he? and Christian Slater were just on. He's great. And uh, that, uh, are you caught up on the series? No. Oh, fuck. No. I, okay. I fell I asleep in the middle of it last night. Okay, I won't say. I won't don't say, say a word, but I am really enjoying it. I won't say that. Everyone dies, but I won't say. No, I'm oh. uh, <laughs> No! Yeah, so Mr. Robot's really great. My girlfriend and I watch shit tons of horror movies. Like every... Honestly, I can't deal with that. No? No. Nope. Not a horror fan. I go. I feel literally think I'm going to vomit if I watch it. Uh, oh, that's so interesting. I would. I would have pegged you as a horror fan. No, not at all. It's too intense. All Way right. too intense. Okay, so what? 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 What do you watch? 
Um, well, I'm kind of obsessed with Broad City. Oh, great, great. Um, just finished Silicon Abby and Valley. Yeah. Uh-huh. Silicon Valley, phenomenal. Although I don't think the second season was half as good as the first. Really? No. Oh. So I was kind of bummed out, the truth be told. I hope it will pick up for the third. Shit. Shirley Manson has decreed. God, hey, you're really mean. What I am mean. What's an opinion? Oi, that show was shite. What? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the Scott. That's the yeah. Scott part coming out. Yeah. My Silicon Valley. You were shite this second season. <laughs> that's gonna be the fucking headline. You know so funny? Things have started to happen on the podcast now that are. Like, Brian Cranston was just on, and he was kind of talking about how fascinating he thought Trump was, and made it very clear that he thought he would be a terrible president, and that he had terrible ideas, but he thought it was really interesting the way he was kind of shaking up the other candidates. Well, it, it's it's dementia. It, like, it's, demented, demented behavior is always fascinating to watch. It's fascinating, but then all these news outlets picked it up, like, Brian Cranston thinks Donald Trump is refreshing. And it's like, no, you didn't yeah. even listen to this. That's but see, it, it's interesting you should say that, because I have a real problem with how the press behave at the moment. Like, it seems like they take no responsibility whatsoever for for their craft. Like, they just go willy-nilly, just grabbing headlines so that they get as many hits as possible yes. to secure their survival. But it's so irresponsible <laughs> the way the press treat people and situations and, and, and they put all their efforts into the most mundane things when really dreadful things are happening all over the world that they just choose to ignore. Yeah, there's no craft in lowest common denominator. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's true. It's just... <laughs> I mean, there's no... If they're just trying to get traffic, you know, then it doesn't really... Because they, because I think they know everything moves so fast, information moves so fast. They don't have to source anything anymore. They no, don't have. There's to, no fact checking. There's no fact checking. There's it's just no, rubbish. Yeah, literally rubbish. And they know that if they if someone calls them out on it, then they don't care. They'll forget the next day or the next hour. Yeah. So it's. I mean, I would imagine for you, that's probably also been. I mean, you've seen such a dramatic. Evo- I don't even know if it's evolution, but a dramatic. It's devolution, baby. Metamorphosis in the way. Devolution, definitely. De- it's the devolution band. <laughs> that, uh, that I, I mean, I assume you probably just don't even bother with any of that stuff anymore. It's not that I don't bother with it, but I just try not spend too much time thinking about inaccuracies that are written about me. It's like, who cares, you know? But it does bother me when I see really irresponsible journalism that puts people's lives either in jeopardy or... Or causes them a lot of suffering or like that's just it's just not cool. Do your job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you uh were you ever comfortable with being a role model? Because <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you, you you are and you I mean like I I would imagine, you know, a lot of young women probably looked up to you as a as a as a strong guiding force. Did did you ever feel responsibility with that? Or were you like, No, 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 I'm I'm damaged, don't look at me or were you were you cool with it? I've never thought of myself as a role model of the truth be told. I mean, I think if you are even remotely in the public eye, someone somewhere will consider you a role model for sure. And, and, but I just don't take that too much to heart. You know, it's like as many people despise me, loathe me um, as anyone who's ever admired me. So, you know, when you, when you balance it all out, it's like, you know, it's a moot point. You think it's a wash? I think it's a wash. But I think it still matters to the people that really do. Because no matter anything you put in the world, a percentage, you know, 
there's a percentage of people that it's going to say it's the best thing they've ever seen, the worst thing they've ever seen, and then there's people who are like, yeah, I really like this, or man, or yeah, really. it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. But I do think for the people that really, 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 and I'm sure the number is significant, you know, like it really, ma- it really matters to them. I think it's important that, um, you know, you were someone who could have been completely sucked under stress and anxiety and depression, and but you found a way to express that and push through it, and and you're on the other side, and you seem totally, you seem nice. Cool. You seem nice. Do I seem nice? You do seem nice. Oh. Unless you don't Bless. want to be nice. <laughs> of course I want to be nice. Oh, good. See, that's good. It's nice to be nice. So you got through all that. I mean, was that, <laughs> do you think that was, do you think that that was in your DNA or do you think that was just experience and wisdom and, 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 you know, getting, getting to be a few years older? I think I had a great mum who really taught me how to look after myself in the world, basically. And growing up in a small island where you really don't get to behave in any way other than be a, just a, like a sort of decent, normal person. Yeah. You know, in Scotland, you will get the shit kicked out of you if you behave in any starry, fancy way. <laughs> you know, they'll laugh at you. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. That's what's so incredible, I think, about the Scottish culture is they just, ha- they just tell it as it is. They see it as it is. They tell it how it is. And, you know, occasionally you'll meet the odd buffoon. But in general, people are sort of like everyone will hang out in the pub and everybody sees everyone as an equal. Everyone believes a l- primarily in socialism, Scotland, like the strong look after the weak, the young look after the old. You know, it's just sort of inherent in the culture. I mean, I'm I'm over glamorizing and, and sentimental sentimentalizing the culture that I come from. But at the same time, there are threads of that there that I see are not necessarily here in Los Angeles, for and a random almost example. In, in defiance of the vertical class structure. <laughs> well, there is, a, <clears throat> yeah, there's, I didn't say it was perfect, but, the, but, you know, it has a lot of really great things about it, about the culture. What is the, what do you think is the standard kind of self-reflexive identity as, as a Scot? What do you... What do you what do you feel when you're growing up there? Well, how do you see the rest of the world? How do you see how do you see England? Like how do you see like where do you see your, yourselves? Well, because of the great, you know, empire that we, you know, we got taught about at school. You know, in Scotland you felt part of the United Kingdom and we were we were shown maps where we were in the center of the world. And so <laughs> I mean, that's just true. We looked at the world and America was on one side, Europe and Russia was on the other, and we were bang in the middle. Right. And uh, so we are tiny, but we believe we're mighty. Right. And that, and that is definitely a part of that Scottish psyche. Um, and we have a very rich history that a lot of, again, when I came to America, I was shocked at how young the culture, like the culture was. You know, we have centuries and centuries of great writers, artists, you know, dancers, opera singers, you know, blah, 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 kings, queens, you name it, you know. Yeah. And we have all the folklore and, and all the history. And that that really holds a country together in a funny way that I notice isn't necessarily here in America. But what's beautiful about America is because it is so new. It doesn't have any of that elitist shit that you can come across when you, you come into Europe and you encounter some of the attitudes over there towards America. But I think I think what we do have is sort of a youthful arrogance. I think yeah. there's a youthful arrogance. But also, I think an innocence. I, I I have. I mean, I love America deeply, 
and it's important to me and it's done nothing but good for me. It's been a, a incredible country to me and generous and I believe in the principles that that I feel exist in this country and you're right, I feel like there's 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 exuberance and there's youthful optimism but there's a real innocence here which I love um, and, and I don't think the rest of the world really understand that. You know, they don't don't understand that actually America's not arrogant necessarily. It's just innocent. And often innocence can come across as insane arrogance. <laughs> you know, you true. know, I, I mean, I really believe that. I guess that's true. It breaks my heart because I know when I go to Europe, I can see that a lot of the bigotry towards America that has built up over, well, you know, since probably the, t- the Bush, you know, administrations. Sure. And it breaks my heart. Yeah, but I think also, I think I have witnessed being overseas and seen uh, Americans acting, you know, a little entitled. Oh yeah, you know, or it's like where, it, like you can't pull where. Where's my ham, my jambon sandwich? God damn it, <laughs> jambon. <laughs> That's a true story, by the way. I was in a cafe in Edinburgh and there was an American couple sitting there and and, excuse me I was in Paris and I was in a cafeteria in Paris and this American there was saying I want a ham sandwich and the the lady was going je ne comprends pas qu'est-ce que c'est you know and and he was like fromage yeah (laughs) the guy was going a sandwich I just want a goddamn sandwich a jambon sandwich goddamn it I was like, oh my god! I was just dying. Yeah, you can't, you can't go to Europe and pull the old. I want to speak to the manager. Like they don't give. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. Speak to Where's my jambon sandwich? Ugh. By the way, fucking really good bitchy American <laughs> accent. That was fantastic. That was really fantastic. You're very kind. Do you? Uh, are you going to do more <laughs> acting? Do you want to do more acting stuff? I do want to do more acting. Every now and again, I go for an audition. Um, and don't get the role I'm up for. Um, but I, I really would love to do more sci-fi. Actually, when I saw Mr. Robot, I was like, see, this is exactly the show I want to be on. Because it was kind of similar to the one I had been on. You know, yeah. smart sci-fi is really my thing. You're referring to Terminator. I am. The Sarah Connor Chronicles. Correct. Fantastic. Top of the class. Was that, uh, that had to be fun. Oh, Being a Terminator amazing. show. It was amazing. Yeah. It really was. It was, it was unbelievable. It was like I felt like I was living in a fantasy. Yeah, was it? Because str- the, the the television process is is a little less immediately gratifying compared it's to hardcore. Compared to you know, you could go out and perform in front of ten thousand people, but the television is like, wait there for seven hours. We're gonna need you for fifteen minutes. Go wait for another seven yeah, hours. It's brutal, then, actually. And then in eight months, then you'll see the thing that you. If made. you're lucky. If you're lucky, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was quite shocked actually because I was like, "Oh, I can handle this. I've been in a band for a decade. I know what this is like. I know the studio system." I got the shock of my life. Day one, I was being manhandled by the director, you know, and like I was used to being like, you know, when you're a lead singer in a band, everyone's like, could you ask the singer if she'll uh, walk over here, <laughs> you know? And and instead, I was getting physically grabbed, and I was like really close to going mental you know yeah um and then you're right you're just hanging around in your trailer all day long and then they're going like we're going to need you in two seconds but we've just changed the script and you're gonna have to learn the script in 20 minutes and i'm like not used to that so i'd be freaking out you know i'm not very good at memorizing stuff i feel like there's a reality i'm gonna are you on twitter Mm -hmm. okay I feel like I need to. I, I want to connect you somehow with <laughs> Sam Esmail, who is the creator of the I show. I know who Ro- he is. Okay, 
And uh, I, I was going to go, Sam, just just to pitch Shirley Manson as <laughs> the leader of a punk uh, Scottish uh, uh, hacker Cyber group Army. called Clan Shite. Uh, <laughs> And I'll just leave that here. I'm sure he'll, he'll be gagging for it. And say, he, you know, he's really cool. He might, actually. <laughs> he might. I mean, you, first of all, you've got the pink hair and you have a really cool jacket on right now. If, if you said, she's like one of the best top hackers, I'd be like, yeah, she's one of those cool looking <laughs> hipster hackers. Give me a job. I'll love you forever. That all these people have been talking about. I, 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 you know, I've been known to, to, to make things happen from time to time. I think it's not crazy. Yeah, but what percentage are you wanting? I, oh, Let's I don't... negotiate right here and now. Let's just get it on the table. It's no, not exactly where we stand. It's I'm all, joking. It's all ego-driven. I get, to, <laughs> I get to watch that and bore the shit out of people by going, I, I introduced those. And we don't care. I just wanted to take your order. I think that's cute that you like doing that for people. I do. It's fun. I like doing it for people, too. Yeah. It's fun, yeah. What is there an example of something where you spotted a person somewhere and connected them with something and then that became a thing? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah? I don't think you should ever tell unless it's like... Oh, okay, yeah, of course. But yeah, of course. One time you saw a young Jason Siegel in a grocery store parking lot. I did, it was hot. It was. It probably wasn't even Jason Siegel, though. That's what's so funny about it. I heard it. Just some dude going, hi, and me going, oh, hi. Did I tell the Jason Siegel story on the podcast before? There's a pretty amazing Jason Siegel story. There's a... My friend Greg Barrett does this live show sometimes called Bring the Rock. And you go on as a... How do I know that name? Bring the Rock? No, Greg... Because <laughs> he wrote a book called He's Just Not That Into You. Oh, yes. Duh. But okay, he's a comedian, it. and that was a weird side yeah, thing yeah, yeah. that he did. It does not represent his... But anyway, this show, Bring the Rock, was a show we used to do at Largo all the time, and you would, you know, you, you'd go on and tell a story, and then you would... About music, some something that affected you musically, and then you would cover a song with the... There was a band, and you would cover the song in a, in a weird way. And he told the story about Jason Siegel doing it one time up in San Francisco. They were performing. And Jason Siegel was kind of hammered. And he came to rehearsal and he wasn't really nailing the song. And they were like, oh boy, this is going to be what going to do about this one. They go to do the show. He fucking nails this, like, destroys, super hammered, destro- allegedly, destroys. Then at the end of the song, while people are on their feet freaking out, he goes, uh, he rattles off a series of numbers and he goes, that's my phone number. If you want to hook up with me, I'll be over in the corner. Walked over to the corner of the stage. <laughs> some girl like walks up to him and, and then they left together. That's super hot. Yeah, that's fucking punk rock. That's, I would never think to do that. I'm in love with him. I, I think. would never think to do that. I, I, I feel like I would talk people out of like, I mean, we could hook up, but I, you probably, you probably, there's better things you could be doing with your time. Like, I don't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Really? Yes. See, yes. but that's its own form of hotness, too. Right, girls? No, that's, I appreciate that you were trying to... Appreciate no, it's that true. Were... It's like the opposite, though, isn't it? It's just a different tactic. It's the same tactic, just in the opposite. I really don't think it's a tactic. I, I really genu- don't want... I really don't think you'll like me. I'm really... Not, I, I'm, I'm just... I know I'm not you that think, interesting. I know you think that's a tactic. I think but, it is. But I honestly... I challenge you, sir. That's well, a tactic, goddammit. Uh, I don't know how to meet this challenge. <laughs> no, I really... Because I, I, I don't have any... It's, it's, it's not like I'm like... Like I don't, re- I never expected it to work. I always just assumed. But I bet you it did work. I don't know. I mean, maybe sometimes. But or you know are what? You it still is? a virgin? Yeah. I knew it. One of these it. days, I'm going to be inside a lady. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I I think it probably goes back to grade school, which where I was not 
I think a lot of your adult life is like trying to make up for shit in grade what school. What happened or, in grade school? You must tell me now. My, I'm, my mind is what happened. Away. It wasn't anything crazy. So my family moved a lot. I was never a popular kid. I was, I, I was a late bloomer. I was into super nerdy shit that the other kids weren't into, and I didn't relate to them well because I thought they were all kind of mouth breathery. And so I just didn't, <laughs> you know. But but I didn't really, I didn't really socialize well with other kids, and so I just didn't. It was very hard for me to not feel rejected constantly. Interesting, because you're so socially adept. Well, now I've been, you know, and I do. I've been doing stand up for 17 years, and I'm doing. I've done hundreds of podcasts and been hosting television shows forever. So I like that sort of broke me out of a lot of that. I and mean, did you feel that way with mm-hmm. with me? Like, did that? Did did that? No, you're uh, you're basically. I'm really connecting. With, I feel the same way. Yeah. When you so you were a pretty shy kid. Yeah, I was a funny mixture, you know, of shyness. I'm, I'm sure we're pretty much the same. I mean, we seem really extrovert, but we also have this like really warped shyness. I think it's learned. I think it's a learned extrovertism. Uh, you know what they say about shyness, right? What? It's grandiosity. Really? You think it's it's the opposite of what you think it is. It's sort of because you're so you think you're so like. Not important is the wrong word, but you're so big in the game that everybody's staring at you. Yeah. And everybody's noticing every single thing about you and every little word out your mouth is being analysed by everyone around you. And then it's sort of a relief as you get older to realise, well, actually, nobody gives a flying fuck what I feel, think. Wait, what? They don't? <laughs> what do you mean? You know what I mean? They like, care. Shy people really think we're all watching them. I guess They that's really true. believe it. I guess that's true. But some of that, I think, can develop from... Some of that can develop from uh, when people start recognizing you in public and you feel a little – you don't think you're being watched. Or you get bullied at school. That or you could, get yeah, – bu- totally. Start shuts you down a bit. Did you get bullied at school? I got badly bullied at school. I mean I don't mean yes like that's awesome but yes, I completely yeah, – under. What, really, what did they bully you for? I don't really know. I, I came from a, you know, a, a, like a nice family and the girl that bullied me was came from a nutty family. I mean she had a really sad life but I didn't – give a damn about that back at the then. time you just, don't know I was, she scared the living shit out of me and you she don't, was a beast you don't have empathy when you're you no, know you don't. when you're you like 11 none. years old they probably have a really hard life oh poor her yeah but yeah. I mean she really did have a shitty life and, and it was a very sad story but um, yeah she bullied me and that kind of shut me down but I mean, I used to not even be able to go into school tuck shop and, and ask for a Kit Kat without being crippled with nerves I mean, really yeah I was really dysfunctional that way and you think... But I remember ev- thinking, believing everybody was watching me at the tuck shop as I tried to buy my Kit Kat in, and, my, in my period of shyness. And, but, but, in, but then you've learned later that they were not they looking at you. They don't give a damn. Or maybe they were. No. Maybe they saw something no. special. As somebody once said to me, Cheryl, you're just not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I find that to be a very comforting phrase. Right? I find it that to be a very is, comforting though, when phrase. you think about it, it actually is. It is, because I think, I think, I think there's an even more grandiose version of that where people don't just think everyone's looking at them. They think the universe is conspiring against them. And so they'll be like, oh, yeah, another thing didn't work out because the universe doesn't want me to be happy. And it's like, yeah. you're not that important. The universe doesn't give two fucks about you. Yeah. So just just pick a better path or figure this shit out. Here, here, sir. Yes. Yes. It's excuses. They're excuses. Well, we all make excuses, right, of how we get through our day. But that is a very obvious one. Yeah. And so you now that you guys are back in the studio again – do you does it feel the same or different or like oh we're just picking up where we left off or how does it feel <laughs> silence um silence you know it i've never been a big fan of the studio to help you. 
uh, the court should, it should be duly noted that uh, Shirley Manson smacked Kyle no, on the I leg. Did, no, I did smack Kyle because he was looking at me out of the side of his eyes, and it was. He was funny. giving you the side, the you side do. look. You do. Was, I mean, you know, it's a thing. You know, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I find it a wee bit tedious being in the studio. I have to say because I've got. I think I actually have made a, a discovery about myself of late. I think I might have attention deficit disorder. Slight, very mild. Very mild. Stop it, Kyle. <laughs> and um, as a result, I just once I've heard like one drum pattern, maybe maybe 20 times, then I've reached my limit and I want to kill somebody. Yeah, but I understand that. I mean, it's just if you it, it, it just feels repetitive. You've yeah, done but this. The, the, the rest of the band, they genuinely love it. They kind of get lost in it. They, they tell me stories about how they hear and. You know, Butch in particular hears in 3D. So when he's listening, he's stepping inside the mute, like the sound. And I'm like boggled. My my mind boggles at the thought of that because how that cool be that must be. <laughs> no, but it's just like that he's born to do it and he finds it endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And I wish I could say I did too, but I don't. Well, but maybe that's part of what works so well about you guys as a as a band is that you offer complete like if you were all three complete audio nerds Fun- in that in that way functioning individuals yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no but you're right it's that's why it it does work but you guys you're going on are you when does the tour start you guys are going on tour we go on tour i think it's the 3rd of october cuz you're playing the you're playing the Greek here? We are. I can't believe it. I'm You've so ever played excited. the Greek before? Never played the Greek. What the fucking shit? I know. Well, that's what we said. I we can't like, believe it. What the it. fuck? Why are we not playing the Greek? I you know, can't. It's our 20th anniversary. Let's I do it. I find that hard to believe, but I, but that's that's amazing. No, I'm excited. I'm I might, excited. I think I might have to come to that come? show. Please yes, come. I will come to that show. Please come. I, do, I live near there, so I... Oh, well, I, then you have no excuses. I, I can... Yeah. Colin, are you taking notes? Colin. Hey, Colin. It's Chris <laughs> Hardwick. Can I have tickets to the... Who? <laughs> well, from ba- the, your band. From a podcast? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, we give out tickets to podcast people. Let's see that. Can't, I can't. I can't wait for that. Can't wait for that call. But Shirley said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." I won't forget. Yeah, never. No, I won't forget. All right, I'll, I'll be. I'll be screaming for. Oh, Shirley. <laughs> I do. I remember things like that. Do you? Do you have a? Do you have a, an iron trap of a memory? No, but for for you know. Things like this, I, I do. All right, good. And I, can't, I give my word, I remember. I, I appreciate that. I can't, <laughs> I, I, because I've seen you guys live before in the, when I worked at K-Rock, you know, you, you, I'm sure I must have seen you at an Acoustic Christmas or like one of the, one of the K-Rock shows. Actually, I've got something quite embarrassing to tell you. What? Is that we've actually slept together. Oh, that was, um, that was you? <laughs> that was me. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm not a virgin. You're this not a virgin. This news. I, I wanted to break it to you gently. Oh, my God. Woohoo! Was I good at it? You were incredible. I'm Mind-boggling. so glad. I have never forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, you have forgotten. No. So that I says s- a lot about my prowess. I got so nervous and I shit everywhere and I, <laughs> and I developed this crippling fear of poop. <laughs> No, I'm sure we have probably met at some point at these K-Rock Do's. Maybe. They were I mean, incredible, though. That my, some of my happiest memories of the 90s were those K-Rock shows, like those Christmas shows. They the were Christmas incredible. Christmas. They were so much fun. 
They were like, it was like a scene out of Almost Famous or something. You'd be like hanging out with like Oasis and No Doubt and Fiona Apple and Radiohead and all, like all these incredible bands. I think I may have, oh my God, I think I may have introduced you guys one year. <laughs> because we, See, you thought I was joking. No, yeah, yeah, before the sex part. And then uh, uh, we... And then be- we banged into one another at the end of the show. Yeah, and you're like... I've never been introduced so well before in my life. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm scared and drunk. Uh, uh, but I, I remember, I'm almost positive I introduced you guys at the, at the Universal Amphitheater. With the with, spinning stage, With the right? spinning stage. Mm-hmm. Because as, a, as DJs there, we had to go out and, hey, I'm so-and-so. And, here the, and I'm almost, po- oh, man. Let's put your hands together for the incredible. I'll tell you how I introduced you. And I'm sorry, it's just I'm a complete dork and I have a weird sense of humor. Uh oh. The stage was turning and I had a mic. It's like a song lyric. It wasn't, it's not going to be when you hear what I said. The stage was turning and it seemed so presentational to me. And I could hear my voice booming the Universal Amphitheater. I said, Ladies and gentlemen, the magic of David Copperfield. <laughs> and, and then there was a weird smattering. And I'm like, I'm just kidding. It's garbage. <laughs> did you really say that? I really that? did do that. No way. I really did do that. That's fantastic. Yeah. The me- and I, I guess I, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I was the person who thought it was hilarious. And the other 6,000 people didn't or whatever so was, I mean, they didn't, you know. They didn't want irony. They just wanted to fucking see an, a good show. They did. Yeah, but those those were the... Oh, my God. Those were the... I'm going to have to ask. I bet you the band remember. They remember everything. I hope they... I would be so tickled <laughs> if they remembered something like that. But yeah. Go, oh, yeah, that douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> I almost quit music because of that fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are the old days. I... I, I I don't drink anymore, but in those days I drank very like it was just a constant stream of like decadence. Yeah. rock. Do you remember any of the? Do you remember anything particularly weird or fun happening at those shows? I do quite a lot of weird and fun things. <laughs> what What are two weird things that you remember? Well, the thing that's real. I mean, this isn't even that decadent. I just remember it. We laughed ourselves sick. Was going out. We went out to the front of house to watch Oasis. And Liam Gallagher was being his usual boorish self. And he was standing in the middle of the stage with his mouth agape with saliva and beer just trickling out of it. Like he just he, he sort of, I don't know what he was doing. And it, it seemed to go on forever. He just standing there like a mouth breather with <laughs> alcohol and then just strings of gob coming out of his mouth. And he did, wasn't singing in any way? He wasn't singing, just standing there like. <laughs> I wonder what the experience was in his head while that was happening. Yeah, who knows? And he was always telling the audience to fuck off and everybody loved it and. Like that would never fly right now. No, I feel people are like, uh, no, fuck you. No, they, they would t- they would hoist you off the stage, probably. Yeah, yeah. But, but back then, there would be just... a, there'd be a, there'd be a hashtag that would be launched that would trend. Yeah, cancel to... Oasis. Yeah. There would be outrage and it'd be all, petitions. It'd, it'd be all over. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I always think about how uh, when um, Paul McCartney was on the show a few a few months back, and he talked about how he... you interviewed Paul McCartney. I did, yeah. And, Holy cow. and he was talking about how he was like... Did it uh, make you nervous? Sorry to interrupt. No, I wasn't because I knew that if I was nervous, then that would make him uncomfortable. And so I just figured, well, I'll just he's a guy. I'll just talk to him. And, and he was the 
best, so gracious and so lovely. But he would t- he told the story about how whenever someone would say so and so is the next Beatles, he would go, "Oh no, you shouldn't have done. Oh, they're not gonna." That was sort of the kiss of death. Like yeah. that was, and he wasn't saying it from an arrogant place, but just you know, doing doing the like the data would confirm that the second someone calls you the next Beatles, you're screwed. You're screwed. And he said, and he he mentioned Oasis, and he was like. Oh, like when they said Oasis was the next Beatles. And, and my, what I meant to – I never said at the time was like, but I think they were the ones saying that. Weren't they the ones <laughs> yeah. saying that? I think they said they it before the have. press did. Yeah. yeah. Who were the next Beatles? Maybe we were the next Beatles? Oh, God. I think maybe you're not the next Beatles. <laughs> maybe, maybe you didn't be maybe. the – maybe you're not the next Beatles. Maybe not. Uh, I remember being really drunk and having Andy Dick drag – like, let's go in this dressing room for some reason. And we go in there and it's Tori Amos's dressing room and she's sitting right where Kyle is. And we're just sitting in Tori Amos's dressing room and um, she doesn't seem fun. Well, uh, she is fun. But is she's she? Just, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's really fun actually. Yeah. But yeah, she's a lady. She's quiet. But she was just sitting there with her manager, and we were a few <laughs> feet from her. But rather than say, like, who are you and why are you in here? And of course, it's horribly invasive. Two drunk louts just burst into your dressing room and sit down. Well, Andy Dick's a lot to handle. He is. You know? He is. Uh, but this, this was – I'm glad I have one good Andy Dick story in my drunken days. I, don't, I feel like I got it. You know, like I feel like I don't need any more. But she just whispered to her manager – and the manager came over and said, I'm sorry, who are you guys? But it was just funny. <laughs> We're as close to her as I am to Kyle, but she wouldn't ask us directly. It was very an obvious, like, oh, excuse me, who are you? Wow, yeah. amazing. So it was really, it was really strange. Yeah, Those were the days, though. Do you have the energy for that stuff anymore? You're like, ah, it's just too much of a no, hassle. I have a lot of energy still. If, if I'm into it. I mean, if it's a bunch of boring idiots, not really. Yeah. But if, if, if the night is right... And the and the conversation is good. Yeah, I'm into it. I almost I mean, thought you I don't were... party like I used to party. No, that, I think that would be a bit sad, really, if I did. But I can. I have a lot of energy still for fun. I feel like it's it's a constant challenge to keep uh, finding adventure because the because you like comfort is really nice. It's really nice to be comfortable. It is. And at a certain point, you know, adventure does not... Adventure flies in the face of being comfortable. And when you're young, you always want to be uncomfortable. You always want to well, be Well, you're willing to be uncomfortable. You don't want to be, but you're willing to be. Because you don't know anything yet and you're trying to find yeah. something. But I wonder if that thing you're trying to find ultimately is like, oh, this is a... This is a it's sort of like a dog who circles them, like, oh, makes the mat all... Oh, and then they curl up and then they're just yeah. comfortable. When I was really young, though, some, a, a writer, actually, a Scottish writer called Andrew Gregg, gave me the best advice, which was, you know, when you're young, it, your, your plane takes off and your plane is up in the air and it's just, it's a natural trajectory. You know, it's, there's no effort required, really. But then as you get older, you have to start not only like piloting your own plane, but you have to like find the fuel to make it happen. <laughs> and and it, it's always really stuck in my head. It's like I have to make things happen for myself. I have to engineer adventure because it's not it doesn't come to you like it does when you're young because you, you know, you're so open when you're when you're young, you're willing to do anything. I would I worked so much for free and I would do anything anyone asked me if it seemed even remotely good fun. And then you get older and you just say, no, no, I'm not doing that. Are they going to pay me? No. <laughs> and you just people just stop and do nothing in the end. They don't take any risks. They don't do anything new. They don't do stuff that they don't feel that, that they're in charge of or that they know how to master. And I just feel like that you really have to do that 
constantly. And my dad actually is a great inspiration for that too because he's like nearly 80. He just went to Africa on a bike and rode 400 kilometres for charity and none of us, his daughters, thought he could do it. We were all like, there's no way you can do this. You're, this, you're insane. And he was like, I'm going to do it. And if I, if I die while I'm over there, so be it. But I'm going to go out and have an adventure. And oh. Off he went. And I just think that's incredible. Oh, that 80 is, years old. Yeah, yeah. That is, I think maybe, did you ever, did you ever write a book? Did I, I ever write I one? I think there's a book in you somewhere. I don't know about that. Engineering Your Own Adventure? That's not a book. Come on. <laughs> that's, what a great, mm. I'm telling you. You know, it's just that. What may seem very personal to you is like, oh, it's my boring life. It's not that like, but that stuff's very useful to we people. We all think our lives, though, don't have a book in them. I think everybody has a book, actually, probably. To be I fair. think you in particular have a book. Do you? All yeah. right. Yeah. I'll go and write one this afternoon. This Just today? This yeah. afternoon? Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, it's a b- breaking news story, I guess. That um, should be out by tomorrow, yeah. I would, if you're going to write it this afternoon. You can put off recording for another day. Okay. Fuck those guys. Yeah. Like, you can... You can... <laughs> Kyle's wazzing himself laughing over here. Uh, Kyle, Kyle's our—he's our walk-around Muppet. Like he's just a—he's just a bundle of uh, of furry delight. He's a—he's a—he's—he's he's a happy-go-lucky, but he's got a dark side. Oof. Kyle knows more about music than anyone I've ever met. Well, I'm gathering you all are kind of into music. In but a I, massive I, way. I, I am a music. I, I love I love music. Kyle is mu- like this guy is a fucking Wikipedia of music. It's it's pretty it's pretty ridiculous. There are things that are so obscure, and Kyle go, yeah, that was so and so, or that was this. He, I'd love to be like that. Yeah, it's just a it's it a lot of loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you gotta do. Oh my god, that's the best quote ever. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but Kyle, you know that hole's impossible to fill. No, 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 no. I think we got it. Now. No, yeah. you <laughs> always filled. say that. Kyle's been filled. <laughs> ah, shit. There's still more room. Still more room. So, in essence. Fill your holes and um, engineer your own adventure. Yeah. Uh, people can find where can they find details about the tour? Is it is, do you guys own garbage.com? Yes. Well then I guess they should go to garbage.com. Mm, yeah, I mean, you know, there's the myriad of social media platforms, isn't there? Yeah. I mean I, I can't keep up at this point. Literally, I feel like I'm being introduced to a new one every day. Yeah. Are you on Snapchat? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Are you on Snapchat? I just recently, somebody said to me, you know, we need to get you on Snapchat. You'd be really good at it. And uh, I was like, well, show me how it works. And then I just, I looked at how it worked and... You need to Snapchat your goddamn jambon sandwiches. That's what you need to do. (laughs) Oof. You need to Snapchat. Snapchat your fucking sandwich. (laughs) Now I just sound like TJ Miller. Now I sound like TJ Miller. Do you do Snapchat? No, um, no, because I've been. Uh, ah, it's a dumb, boring story. I, ba- basically, the, the the username that I use for everything, someone oh, squatted it, it, and I can't get it back from them, and so I've been very stubborn about it. Like, well, fine then, and um, so I, I haven't been on. It's so annoying when they do that. It really is. Are they trying to extort money from? No, you? they're not even doing anything with they it. Just this is frustrating it. about it. They don't uh, want. They're not doing anything with it. Yeah, and I know it's a very bratty point of view. I should just start another one, but no, it's the principle. It's a the man has principle. to have some principles. I Craig. need a thing. Yep. to hold on to in this world of of tenuous grasp, <laughs> and that's what I'm putting all my uh, energy toward. So uh, yeah, I don't know if I if I ever get it, then I'll I'll be on. I'm on pretty I'm on everything else. But I like they, social media. When I looked when I looked at when I got my tutorial on Snapchat, I I could see the uses for it, 
and how fun it could be to torture your friends. Yes. But that much I clicked onto really fast, how I could wreak havoc in my manager's life, for a random example. What is, uh, what is one example of, of havoc wreaking that you would... You could just, you know, I'm not even going to get into it here of what I intend to do, because I still intend to do it at some point. <laughs> but I just think you could really creep people out. Shirley's on a Snapchat where you uh, <laughs> take pictures of poop that disappear after ten seconds. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not scatological like that. I don't want to look particularly look at poos. Okay, you don't want to look at them. Not really. Okay. No. Good. But you know that's an option if that's a way that you wanted to use it. Yeah. Um, well, there, there's that. That's true. You're welcome. Interesting. For that idea, okay, you thank you for that. You know what you guys could do is you, you, you could start periscoping some of the stuff. At I your... knew you were going to mention periscope. I love periscope. Why? Because. Well, why have you not got it on right now? Um, because I don't think because then for, it wouldn't be a podcast. Well, it? no, I actually. Well, the reason that I the reason that I don't is because I feel like it's a lot to ask of a guest. Like, hey, can we live stream you? I feel like there's something that's very cozy and comfortable about just being able to chat with just audio. So, what would you use your Periscope for? Periscope, tell. Periscope, I think is for is for situations that just feel sort of like you need to be there. You just it's like it's it's an experience. Here I am walking on stage. Well, walking on stage, like I've periscoped a bunch of walks out to uh, talk shows. Like if I do like the Tonight Show or something, I'll, I'll periscope or like Conan, I'll periscope from backstage so people can see what it feels like to walk out and see the crowd. And something. Or uh, or my friend April and I did 32 minutes of car jams the other day driving from <laughs> between shows in San Jose and Sacramento just singing. And you shared that. We shared that because it sort of felt like, oh, we're all on a road trip together. So we fucking – we were singing uh, we were singing Colin Hay songs and Wham songs and unironic Hall and Oates and Michael McDonald. That was fucking great. Hall and Oates are great. They're the songs fucking are fantastic. Great. Yeah. They're all good. They're all They're good. Really good. If you were gonna cover a Hall Man-eater. and Oates song, Maneater, it would be Maneater. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually sung Greg Kirsten, who we go back to earlier, the producer, he has a band called Bird and the Bee and they did a whole cover album of uh, Hollow Notes songs, and I sang backing vocals on Maneater. <sighs> I've already lived out that dream, Chris. Uh, what is the What are the backing vocals on Maneater? Oh, here she comes! <laughs> Just in the background. I know Bird and the Bee. Yeah, of course. That's awesome. Yeah. See, you've already you've already lived your dream. I've already lived my dream. Hollow Notes bucket list yeah, checked. <laughs> All right. I'm very excited to see you at the Greek Theater because I do believe I'm in. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to be there. Kyle, you're my witness. I'm going to I'm going to bring my lady to a yes, show bring at the, the Greek lady. Theater. Does your husband come to the show? Uh, he works at the show. Okay, yeah. then then yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. What does he do? <laughs> he is our engineer, both on in the studio and he runs all our system, basically. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. He's that's, the guy. That's nice. <laughs> it, it is nice. It's it is, nice to be nice. It's nice to be nice, and it's nice to like. It's nice to just know that that. It's so funny. I think uh, having that there, waiting for you when you're done with a show, is nice. Like I love when my girlfriend's at a show because I just feel like ah, it's just nice. I can just like I have that to look oh, forward to. Oh, this is so cute. Shut up! <laughs> you stop it! <laughs> All right. Normally, um, so we end our show. We end our show with. Uh, a, a, a phrase that has become sort of a philosophical mantra where we tell people to enjoy we say enjoy your burrito it just means enjoy your present as it's happening but, I understand we have exactly the same sort of uh, custom in Scotland what's that? except it's enjoy your haggis 
Yeah, I think that's the that's it. That's the, I think you just you just planted the flag at the end of the podcast for us. It's going to be enjoy your haggis. My pleasure. Right yeah, which is a which is a, it's like a Scottish burrito. Yeah, made out of a sheep. It is. Uh, so enjoy your haggis. <laughs> the end. The end. We did it. And I'm gonna see if you will sign our guest book. I will. A lot of my favorite uh, my favorite doctor from Doctor Who is Scottish. Peter Capaldi? Uh, David Tennant. David Tennant. Although, Capaldi's great. Yeah, Capaldi's great. But so David Tennant is too. But do you watch the show? Yeah. You do? Of course I do. Are you recording this? Yeah. What, what's your favorite season? Oh, I'm sorry. You're choking on water. I can't believe I just stumbled into the Doctor Who. Swallow that water so we can talk about Doctor Who. That is so sad. Are you a Whoie? I'm a Whovian. If you're a hooligan, I hear that just means you like the Who. Uh... So much different. I go group. way back to Tom Baker. You're a Tom Baker, yeah, and and Craig Ferguson is a is a John, John Pertwee. Pertwee yeah. yeah, that was his guy. Yeah, John Pertwee was amazing. We got Tom Baker in the states, but it was on PBS. Right. And then we didn't really get, we didn't get the, we didn't get like Sylvester McCoy. We didn't get the '80s Doctor Who really. I yeah, I was I was too grown up at that point. I was uninterested. But now you've come back to it. I've come back. Oh, good. Did you did you did you go through the, the Eccleston and the Tennant and the Smith and the Capaldi? If you followed the whole, I wasn't. Yeah, I should watch what I say, but uh, I wasn't a huge Matt Smith fan. No, mm. but you you've come back with uh, Capaldi. I love Peter Capaldi. I he's, think he's cool. a genius. He's great. I didn't know how he was going to attack this one, but he's so he, that that his his doctor is so fucked up and dark. I twisted. really he's so dark, twisted. Right? Yeah, lots of loneliness, right, Kyle? Lots of loneliness. True. He's going to fill that hole. That's right. That, and that's, what does the doctor do? He fills a hole in his loneliness with information. He's the smartest person in the universe. Bingo. Right? Yeah. yeah. Kyle, you're sort of like the doctor. Oh, more than you know, Chris. Oh, more shit. Know. What? Know. Are you really the puppet master of this whole thing this entire time? That's the big time? twist ending at the end of the podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just get into my booth and fly away. It's your TARDIS. Oh, that's the best. That You'd be, be so like bummed. I would be really bummed. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I get to be the doctor? <laughs> Now we should send the podcast with the TARDIS. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels. A symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.